doom doom bippers <laughs> this is episode 52 of the hoffcast it's been a minute uh but good news because i've got a hot episode coming at you um i was up in canada and i interviewed a very funny comedian andy haynes who is an american comedian he lives in new york he was just playing the other club while i was there so we got together and hung out for a little bit and and recorded a podcast and you know it's funny because Andy and I, well, before I get into that, I just wanted to let you guys know what was going on. This weekend, I'm in uh, Central California at the San Luis Obispo Comedy Festival. So if you're in Central California, come out and see a show. Uh, SlowComedyFest.com, they've got uh, they've got the lineups up there, so I'm on several shows. Uh, should be a good time, and I'm planning on getting uh, some comics to do the podcast up there. So should have some good episodes coming your way and and get in deep. Um, other than that, I've got shows coming up um, next weekend. Uh, let's see, March 5th in Idaho Falls, uh, then March 6th and 7th in Ogden, Utah, which is Salt Lake City doing Wise Guys Comedy Club. So get those tickets now. And then the following weeks, I'm uh, in Battle Creek, Michigan with Cable Guy. Then I'm in uh, Phoenix, Arizona with Cable Guy on uh, the 20th, March 20th. Uh, Battle Creek is March 13th. And um, and that's it for March. Other than that, I'm just doing shows here, uh, getting two different two different hours ready. I, I decided to go back and... and uh, and doctor up some oldies but goodies, but they just don't live anywhere. Some old jokes, but they just—they're they're not anywhere for anybody to find right now. But they're, they're, the humor stands. So, gonna figure out a way to get those to you guys. I also have a uh, a film project that I've been working on. So, uh, as I get updates for that, I'll uh, hit you guys. And um, yeah, Andy Haynes and I—we had a good conversation. It was—we didn't get too in depth. On you know we talked a lot about comedy. We talked uh, some about the world. Uh, it wasn't too heavy. Like at one point in the conversation, I thought, "Oh, this is gonna turn. This is gonna turn dark, <laughs> and it's about to get super heavy." And you guys will probably be able to tell when that happened in the conversation. It was fairly early in the conversation, but but then we kept it light and and uh, it was a fun conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Uh, you know, Andy and I, as comedians, we are very different. He's very. Uh, somber and dry i mean deadly funny so funny you guys got to look him up andy haynes he's been on comedy central things like that conan uh i mean he's just very funny but it's very like calm demeanor like you know kind of darkish humor is what i i'd call it dark humor but I, i don't know that i necessarily uh say it's all dark he just has that look about him that's uh i mean like <laughs> like if you were casting him he would be empire Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm I'm like a goofy, uh, rebellion kind of guy, and he he would be Empire. Uh, it's just I mean that's just the 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 uh, structure of his face is just uh, like I, I don't even know what I want to say. Um, the the lines on his face they're very sharp angles, and so um, and and we talk about that a little bit. He talks about being a fat kid, which he is not at all now. But I think that's probably, you know, there's always the creation of a comedian. Like most people say that uh, it's because some of some kind of 
trauma that happened as a younger kid. But I think the trauma can come in the form of being a fat kid. Or for me, I was a super short kid until very late. And I think that's that's the creation of our uh, our comedian origin. Uh, but we have a good conversation, and um, he's got some dates toward the end. Uh, if you're in San Francisco, check him out in April. He's recording a new album. He's a very funny guy. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast, and I hope you guys are doing well. It's been a minute since I've checked in, but uh, enjoy episode 52 of the Hoffcast with my guest, Andy Haynes. <laughs> Doom bit, doom doom bit, doom bit, doom doom bit, doom bit, doom doom bit. This is the half cat. Sitting here in the Blackfoot Hotel. I, yeah. I can say that. You'll be gone by the time this comes out. It's totally fine, yeah. I would, <laughs> I would, I would love some people to stalk me. So Okay, yeah, come on out to the Blackfoot Hotel. I'm sitting here with Andy Haynes, funny comedian. Hey, thanks. Nice yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's good having you. It's a little echoey in here. I don't know if they're going to pick that up. Um, I hope not. We're in the uh, business center. Do you are Are you sure you don't don't want to test it to make sure it's not too echoey? I don't think that. I think it's fine. Okay, I'm great. pretty sure it's fine, and I could, should be able to edit something in. You could the do post. like an effect, right? Yeah, just like make us sound very manly, deep yeah. voiced. <laughs> large chested yeah yeah what's up man you're doing uh you're up here doing the um <laughs> this will be done yeah we're right by the elevators too so there's gonna be a periodic ding yeah uh we'll switch you? topics every time that somebody gets on oh, or yeah, off the like elevator quiz, right move on no matter what we're talking about it's just pencils down yeah keep going uh you're here doing the laugh shop in calgary yes we just had lunch at mm-hmm. i want to give them a shout out the 10 foot henry This is Half Recommends. Ten Foot Henry, did you like it? Amazing. Right? Really amazing. You got, no, you got fish, but other than that, like, it's a vegetarian restaurant, sort of, right? Yeah, I think they have a couple steak things, but I think right. they're, like, one of those, like, really farm-to-table places. It was crazy, like, watching the plates come out for you, because it was, uh, uh, I had, like, this tomato thing that's really good that I've had before, and then you just like would get a heaping plate of broccoli mm-hmm. and a large plate of you were splitting it with someone, but you had a large plate of cauliflower as well. Yeah, and they like they they really did a lot with a little. Yeah, it was yeah, like, it looked really good. It was fucking great. It was two very like average vegetables, and it just looked like I kind of wanted it. You guys were offering it, and I was like, it looks good, but I don't. Yeah, I was. Step I in. was like, I hope he doesn't actually want this and feels rude or something um, no no, no. It, <laughs> it was uh it was phenomenal and i was supposed to go there the other night so i was so glad you suggested it right i was surprised when you said actually i tried to go there the other day i was it's like, like really how popular, is that possible one of the most popular restaurants in calgary we're very hip guys look at us yeah look we're, at us foodies <laughs> we know what's happening all right do you consider yourself a foodie i wouldn't say that okay but yes you do know you, what i mean do you find it pretentious a little bit uh yeah, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Like, I, I, I mean, I think it's more just like um, I'm embarrassed to say the word <laughs> foodie. <laughs> right, right. You know, like I love going to like, I always, when I go on the road, I look for the nice, cool. Well, you want good food. Yeah. But it's, it's something sounds douchey about like foodie. Yeah, I'm a foodie. Um, 
It's a, it sounds like something like my stepmom would say when she like discovered like kale. Oh, really? Know? She'd be like, I'm a foodie now. Here I am. I've arrived. Um, I think that uh, it's so funny because like as road comics, people just expect us to be like happy with like like gruel and like a right, right, know, right, like just a bed with no sheets. Yeah. Like, I think back in the day, it was totally fine to treat a comic like that. <laughs> and now we live in cities and we're like kind of urbane people. And, you, you know, like, it's like, yeah, I don't want to eat Denny's for seven meals. Like, we can't keep going back to the same stuff. That works for the first couple of years yeah. of a road career. And then you're like, I, I can't eat that over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I think like most of the time when I stop in a city, my first stop is. Um, like a Whole Foods or something. And I just okay, buy sure. groceries for the week. Yeah. Because I'm just like, oh, I'm not going to... I don't even eat fast food. So I'm just like not good at the road. You do I, not eat fast food? No. Like, uh, how long has it been? 23 years. 23 years of no fast food? So beyond your comedy career. Yeah, way You beyond. made this decision before. Yeah, I was like a chubby kid, and okay. then I stopped eating fast food, and then I became like a vegetarian, and then now, it sounds so stupid, but I don't like sandwiches. <laughs> I feel like bread. Okay. I love bread, but it's a waste of space okay. in, in my abdomen. Really? Like, if I'm going to eat, because I'm like conscious of like what I eat now, sure. too. Well, yeah, if you were a chubby kid, I guess that would do that to you. Yeah, so, like, if I eat, I'm like, well, I'm going to fill up on this fluffy stuff? No, come on, give me some fucking, give me some So you want it to taste good, but you also want the calories to be important. It's it's not as much, because I do intermittent, too. Okay. So it's not as much calories, it's just, like, content. Are you intermittent every day? Not Saturday. Not Saturday. And, like, if I'm with my girlfriend and we're, like... On vacation, I'm not going to be like, hey, we got to eat by eight. <laughs> She's like, hon, I'm hungry. And you're like, sorry, not yet. You missed your window. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I'm going to go to Mexico in a couple months with my girlfriend. I'm not going to like be like at 8 p.m. like, no more. You're not taking it south. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you're not strict about For those of you who haven't uh, heard about the intermittent fasting yet, it's just when you go for a chunk of time without eating, right? Yeah, I just eat every day 12 to 8. Right, so basically just skip breakfast and don't eat after dinner. Yeah. That's it, right? Yeah, and then like sometimes if I'm like really uh, peckish at like 1 a.m., I'll have a like a square of dark chocolate. <laughs> Falling off the rails. Just real. A whole square of dark chocolate. And like, you know, sometimes in the morning I'll like have like a latte to kind of like, you know, fill me. Coffee doesn't count. You're allowed to have coffee. I mean, I think there's some people that are like religious about it, but like, I don't give a shit. I just don't eat 12 to 8. Okay. So how long have you been doing that? I've done it before in the past for like one or two months. And right now I'm on like three weeks. Okay. But you, do you notice a change? Because you look the same as when I met you. I think we were talking about this. We maybe met in 2007. I just, I get, uh, I get like, uh, Fluffy. I get a little puffy. Okay. And um, I'm just trying to get, you know, uh, in beach shape. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, you're going to Mexico. Mexico trip. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be photographable with, without my shirt on. That's something I had never thought about. And I never had, like, a great physique, but I, I never thought about, like, okay, this is coming up. Let me not be a flabby mess. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm also completely like vain because I was like a chubby kid, you know. And as a chubby kid, it was like I, I remember going to like a swim meet when I was like 12, and okay. I had like little man boobs and gotcha. You know, like I barely fit in my speedo. So you're just swimming in a t-shirt, like a white t-shirt. No, I just wore a speedo, but everybody was like, <laughs> you know, like I was just a chubby kid. Even if they weren't, that was probably in your head, right? People might have just looked at you like a normal kid. Yeah, I mean, I think. Probably it'd be weird if a bunch of adults were like, this fat kid has to put some clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> Just the swim coach. It's embarrassing, Andy. But then I I um I think it like it scarred me because sure. I was like twelve. And then like when I was like fifteen years old, I grew eight inches one summer. Holy smokes. And um so then I was like thin, but I still in my head was like, Oh, I'm chubby. So So, I, so is the chubbiness, is that why you're a comedian? Is that what uh, did it? It's chubbiness, molestation, uh, oh. v- uh, emotionally distant mother. Do you joke about these things on yes. stage? Yes, okay. I do. All right. Do you have a tremor? You know what? I drank that coffee, and I feel like I am shaking a little bit. Because I have I? a tremor. Do you? Yeah, I have a full-on, like, um, if I, like, hold a cup of coffee, my hand will start going. It doesn't away. matter what you eat or drink, and you, and you tremor a coffee little bit? Coffee makes it worse. Yeah, okay. <laughs> my wife has said that a couple times. She said, why are you shaking? Yours seems just like caffeine. Okay. Am um, I shaking right now? Nope. It was just when it was up here. As a rock. I just saw it going and I was Yeah, gonna, up here it's shaking. I a was little gonna bit. see if we were like uh, tremor buddies. <laughs> <laughs> you could be my Kevin Bacon. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well I'll keep you posted on my tremor. Who's the co star in, in in See that's tremors? the problem? It's that guy and I like I like him as an actor in that. Like you're talking about the cowboy type guy? Yeah, what's the other guy in it? Here. I've seen him in nothing else. Only tremors. Have I ever seen that guy? I'm sure he's like a, a character actor that was, you know, like he was the co-star in a lot of things in the late 80s. Changed subjects. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we gotta move on. Can't, can't keep talking about whatever his name is. You're going to look him up. Uh, dude, you know, it's funny as I've been watching, um, I've been watching Narcos, the new season of Narcos okay. Mexico. It's Fred Ward. Fred Ward is the he's actor? Actually, yeah, he was in quite a bit of I stuff. I would believe he was he's always, in a lot. He kind of had like a Charles Bronson career. Yeah, he's a, he's like a manly man. Oh, he's in Shortcuts? 88 credits. Do you think that was supposed to be a serious movie, like oh, Tremors? In, and He was in True Detective. J- the first one? The last one. Oh, the last one? I didn't see the last one. Yeah, he's got some spots. He's like one of those guys, you see him, you know him, but you don't necessarily like, you'd never know his name. You know who he looks like? He looks like the guy that was in the beginning of The Walking Dead, and I think he's now the Punisher. Oh, he does look he like He looks like older, his dad. Uh, sh- his name was Shane. His yeah, name, Shane from Walking Dead. He's he's in everything. John. Is it, I, I know is his, it that guy's last name? No. Is it his son? Uh, I know his name. God, it's John. Uh, it's a weird last name. It'll come to me. He's okay. in everything. He's the Punisher. Yeah, he's in everything now. Yeah. Was um, he? No, he wasn't the Venom. That was Tom Hardy. Yeah, Tom Hardy's great. Tom Love Hardy, Tom yeah. Hardy. Tom but Hardy could just read to me and I'd watch it. <laughs> I wonder if he does. He probably does books on tape. Oh, he's had to. He's got right? such a great voice. Tom Hardy, you just find those Tom Hardy things, and all of a sudden you're learning. You're off and running. Have you ever seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Yes. He's in that. He Is plays he? Like the uh, the like kind of like on the outs young spy. Okay. Who's like trying to save the Russian girl. 
I'm trying Turkey. to remember it. I saw it when it first came out. It's been a few years a now. Fucking heartthrob in it. I can only Seriously. think about my tremor now. I'm like holding this pen over here. No, and you're I feel good. Like you're I'm good. shaking. You're good. You're fine. Okay, I feel like I'm shaking over here. <laughs> I'm a little bit cold. Like there's a huge window right here, and I can't tell if it's that or if it's the coffee or if it's just my head now. It's just you've been in. Um, oh, got to change, change subjects. subjects. <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, you started comedy in Seattle. I did. Yeah. How long were you there? Why? Well, Kind of interestingly, I was I was 90 miles north at a college called Western Washington University, okay. like right by the Canadian. Gotta go. Next. Uh, <laughs> now you're in New York. Uh, <laughs> now I was in Western Washington University, and it was 90 miles north, so I'd drive down to do an open mic, and then I would do the next. There was a Sunday. You drive the 90 miles? Yeah, so I'd do wow. Sunday and Monday open mics, and then I'd go back up and go to school during the week. Okay. And then maybe like six months into that or three months into that, I found out there was an open mic in Vancouver too. So I would drive 60 miles to Vancouver on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. to do. Got to have a passport to go up there. I think at that point it was still okay not to have a passport or you could have like a, um, like elevated Washington state ID. Okay. I don't remember having a passport or like being super conscious of it, but, um, I never really lived in Seattle when I started. I was always just kind of coming down there. Okay. And also, I don't know why, I never thought to go to an open mic, like at the college, like they had mixed open mics. Sure, yeah, yeah. But it, it never occurred to me. I was never like, oh, I could just go to this cafe. Yeah, you gravitate toward the comedy open mics, but sometimes those like mixed ones with music they and can be poetry, great. they can be great. But I had, I didn't even consider it an option. Okay, you know yeah. What I mean, I was just like, well, you can't do that. They only play music. They only read poetry. Right, right. They do everything but comedy. But they're dying for a comedian. They would have to loved it, and it would have been probably so great for my social life at that point. But um, then um, I met Robin Williams in a ice cream parlor in that small college town. Wow, he was like on his way to Vancouver. Okay, and um, I said, "Where should I move?" He said, "San Francisco." I said, "Okay, Robin Williams, I will take I, your that's guidance." That's the one that I will do. And so I went down to San Francisco. Uh, did like two weeks trying to get to know everybody, yeah, yeah. looking for places, figuring out how I was going to do it. And first I was going to go visit my dad before I moved in D.C. He lived like he outside lived of D.C. in DC? Annapolis. Okay. And um, had you graduated at this point? Yeah, I just had graduated. With was what like degree? Religion. Okay. Um, I wanted to go into academics. I wanted to be like a college professor. And like sure. A, I was very interested in like the Middle East. Um and then uh, I just uh, I um, went to D.C. and I met a bunch of comics, and then I just stayed. You just stayed in D.C. Never stayed, made it to San never Francisco. made it to San Francisco. Stayed there for two years. Went back to Seattle for about a year, and then I was going to move to San Francisco again. And then Rory Scovel, who was like a good friend of mine by that point, I'd met him in D.C. Uh-huh. Told me and my buddy Scott Moran, who's Rory's collaborator on his new Comedy Central show. Okay. Um, Roy just said, hey, I found this three-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. Uh, I want to get it. Are you guys in? And I was like, yeah, that sounds better than San Francisco. So then nice. I moved to New York. But you're just completely ignoring Robin Williams' advice. Yeah, and I've, I've only, it's a curse. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be so much... I'd be doing tech dinners right now for 20K. He probably checks in on you from time to time from, from heaven. the heavens. Yeah. And he's, he's like, just this like, this kid doesn't know how to take what advice. What the hell? <laughs> it was serendipitous that we met in that ice cream parlor. I told him the secret of the universe and he goes to DC. So stupid. All right. I'm all regretting right. everything now. That's okay. That's all right. Um, wow. That's, that's crazy. You meet Robin Williams there. So religion, were you religious growing up? No, uh, we went to church. But we went to like a very, 
I think the closest thing you can consider or compare it to is um, what do they call those? Uh, uh, there's a name for it. It was called. It was a congregational. That's what the, what the branch of Protestantism it was called. Okay. But it was like we had a lesbian pastor, and you know there was like. Okay. We were singing prayer songs in other languages. It was very hippy dippy and kind of like, uh, oh, Unitarian. It was like Unitarian? close to Unitarian. It was just like they didn't really give a shit if you were like all on board. It was just like be a good person. Is your know? mama hippy? Is that who you no, were? No, but with? you know, like Seattle, you're hippie adjacent. No sure. Matter what. Yeah, yeah. They always have the wool socks. But I was, um, I was always interested in like a spiritual kind of world, right? Or like a worldview. I was always gravitated towards that stuff. And then I had a professor in college that like I just took one course from him thinking yeah, yeah. I'd get like a humanities credit. And I just loved him so much. I took every single one of his classes. So by the time it came like year five and they're like, what do you think you would like to do to get out of here? I was like, oh, I took all these classes. I'll do religion. Okay. I did kind of a minor in like media because I wanted to go to film That's school. That's a smart way of doing it is finding a professor that you like and just continue to take their courses because those were the hardest things for me. Like even classes that were difficult, if I enjoyed the professor, they were an easy class. Yeah, I mean, he was just such a good teacher. He'd gone to Yale Divinity. I can't think of his name right now, but um, I just loved him. Like, I would go to his office hours just to, like, talk to him. Yeah. Like, I think he got sick of me. Um, <laughs> but he was, like, one of those guys that was, like, a legit, um, just, like, you know, gave a shit about what he did. Yeah, yeah. And it was so fun because we'd be, like, it, it was a state school, you know, essentially. Uh-huh. And so, like, you'd get all these, like, suburban kind of mid mid-state, like, you know, dopey blonde people. Sure. And they'd come in and they wouldn't do the homework <laughs> and they'd be like, they'd ask him for an extension on like a very easy project and he would chew them apart. It was so beautiful. Right. You know, like some girl named Stacy from Wenatchee and she'd be crying and she'd be like, I didn't realize how much work I needed to do. And he'd be like, well, I guess this is a learning time. The sorority's well, formal is yeah. right around the corner. Yeah, it was so beautiful. I think that's when I really fell in love with him. I was just like... All right. Fucking. Are you still still spiritual? Yeah, but it's kind of different now because I'm sober. So it was okay. like a sober thing. Like I was always spiritual in the sense that I always was like looking for some kind of connection. You to... were sober at the time? No. You're I'm sober, sober now. now. Yeah, I got and sober so, five years ago. Gotcha. And so I think I always wanted to have a connection to something greater than myself. Sure. And I always like was interested in meditation or yoga or different kind of like um acts of faith kind of thing right right like i always like thought it was cool when people would go to like festivals like religious festivals like there's like a you know there's like a religious festival in india in the manili valley where like all the sadhus which are like the they're hindu aesthetic so it's guys that were just basically like rags and they have dreadlocks but they'll just do something like they'll stand on one leg for 10 years Real, whoa, yeah. and their leg will like fused shut and all this stuff. Like they won't be able to bend the joint anymore. That's it. Yep. They sleep that way. Yep. No. Yeah. No, it's not possible. Yeah. They. I mean, there's I'm guys one... that have holded. They'll hold their hand like this for ten years, and the nails will grow out the other side of the hand. Like crazy shit. And why are they doing that? Just, just to do it. Just like, to be like, this isn't real. This is brain over. Like this is not a real world. We live in a fantasy. And I'm going to show you by showing you how unimportant the material world is. And does that make sense to you? Nope. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, that's wild, isn't it? I mean, it makes sense to me on like a, um, I would love to have that kind of 
devotion and belief in anything. Sure. But I mean, I guess, you know, if you think about it with comedy, um, I've done this for 15 years. I don't have any money. Um, I'm kind of missed out on like the opportunity to have a somewhat normal life, you know, like last year I tried to go get normal jobs just to like make some money and pay off some debt. Okay. And it's just like for 15 years I've been doing this like mercenary work. Yeah. And that they're just like, yeah, I don't know what you do. And so that's kind of like, I think, you know, I've basically sacrificed my life for comedy a little bit. Like, you know, the nails are growing through the other side of my hand on the, uh, (laughs) is that the way you look at it? Or is that something that like we would tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better about it? I laugh at it. I think it's funny. I mean, I think I'll be fine. You think you'll be all right? Yeah. Cause I mean like no matter what, it's like, I, I can figure something out, you know, you turn, See, this is the fear that I have because I've worked with these guys that are, you know, late 50s and they've kind of worn out their relevance. They're not working hard to, like, come up with new jokes. It's still the same ones they had in the 90s, early 2000s. And you can just tell they hate it. They've been through AA twice. They've been divorced thrice. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, and they have no savings, Yep. no retirement. I've worked with these guys that ask for advances on their $1,500 check. I've told multiple people that if I find myself at like age 55... 55 is the year? No, but like generally, like if I'm 55 and I like need to work a loony bin to, mm-hmm. to, to make rent that month, like I'm going to not... I'll just go to Jackson Hole and I'll ask for a job. Like <laughs> what I'll do is I'll file bankruptcy. So I have zero debt and I'll go to Jackson Hole and I'll ask if I can work in like the ticket office and I'll live in a fucking one bedroom cabin. Right. And that's fine. That's the retirement plan. I mean, the retirement plan is, <laughs> do you have a plan to, I, you most know, guys don't. Um, I mean, Ideally, what would happen in the next couple of years is that I could build the kind of fan base where I could tour with a little bit more financial uh, incentive. Getting the door um, deals. Yeah, just a little bit more uh, prominence and then also maybe kind of get some more TV writing jobs, things like that. Right. Like maybe sell something. I don't I, I don't I've never like moved the needle in such a major way that I think I'm going to be like Dalia in a fucking stadium. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm fine with that. But, you know, to be able to make television or films like on the writing side. Right. Yeah. And then to be able to do stand up in the meantime. Have you written for some shows? Yeah, I've written for a lot of like not very well critically received television That's okay. or shows that like Trump. Uh, people like like ridiculousness like just the midwest just, just loves like a salvia hit and right right the show that i worked on gotcha did uh, you enjoy the shows yeah, i guess i, mean, I there's always some i mean, i i think if you can make money doing comedy you are yeah. winning you yeah. know and i think also that people look at this in such a bizarre way where they they think that and i'm i'm totally guilty of this i mean i'll never I, I've never really been like, I'm okay. Like, I'm fine right now. Right. It's always like, oh, God, it's got to be better. We're teetering. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I just said, I've written for a ton of shows, but I have no uh, gratitude towards that because they weren't, like, cool shows, you know? Okay. Um, but I think if you, I think, you know, when, when I can step back from my own fears, uh, the fact that you can make money doing anything with your comedic mind or that like kind of scratches that itch yeah then you're winning you know 
Well, that's the way I look at retirement because it's like you, you think about retirement and I don't ever consider it the way that I would say most people do. Like, okay, I'll turn 65 and then hopefully I'll have enough coin in the bank. I'm looking at it like saying when, when I'm 65, I hope I can still do comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know what I want to do comedy-wise then because it's just so hard to relate. Like, can you think of a 65-year-old? Maybe, how old is Norm? Is Norm in his 60s? He's getting there, but you almost have to earn, like, legend status to continue to work at that point, don't you? Yeah, there's a couple guys that are pretty far up there, and um, they still totally do it for me. But, I, you know, you see a lot of guys that are doing cruise ships. I don't know how you stay good, is what I'm saying. Right. Well, like, what, I don't want to be, like, the groaner comic when I'm, you know. No, or like the, oh, wouldn't that be terrible? Or, like, the, oh, he's trying. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I don't want to be that it. guy. Yeah, but that, in reality, that's probably most comedians, right, at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, we don't like most of the comics that we liked when we started comedy. Sure. You know, it just, it's, like, society evolves and stuff. I mean, there's things that we used to laugh at now that we'd be like, oh, God, you can't really say that. <laughs> or, like, that's such a kind of hack premise, or it's not even that it's hack, it's just that it's like, hold on, <coughs> um, it's rote, you know, like it's just been done, it, Yeah. or it's an easy topic, you know. Yeah, sometimes when I write a joke and it comes off a little too easily off the pen, I'm like, oh, this feels like... Yeah. Either I've I've like heard this type of thing before or it's just been done to death. I just always text Mark Norman. <laughs> you just say, Hey, what is this? I go, Hey, has somebody done this or is this is this hacky? What percentage comes back? Ah yeah, that's kinda like this guy's joke. He's he'll almost always either say, I think you're good or like, you know, that's right, safe right. or like I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Or he'll say like he'll go like this is the fun part. He'll go like, ah, Christopher Titus did that on his third special, <laughs> you know, like, but not Christopher Titus. Cause I don't think Mark knows any Christopher Titus material, but you know, like whatever it is, he'll be like John Campanelli. He knows it. exactly. And then at that point, do you avoid that joke then? You say, yeah, I nope, don't do it's it. done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I try not to like get too caught up in that just because it's like, I've had people get at like mad at me before where they're like, ah, you know, I got like a baked beans bit. And I'm like, <laughs> so you own baked beans? And right. Like, right. Yeah. I'm just like, I'd like it if like, if we do the same show, you don't. And I'm like, okay, but it's not the same bit. Like, you know, don't worry. Your, your castle's safe. Right. But also, isn't that the responsibility of the next person to be like, well, if we are on the same show and you do the baked beans bit, then he just doesn't do the baked beans. Yeah. Bit. I've had people confront me though, where I'm just like, not the same bit or like we look like bits. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I had a guy come up to me and he was like, I do a bit similar to that. I didn't know this guy either. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's fine. Great. And he's like, yeah, but I just saw that you did it and then I couldn't do it later in the show. And I was like, so do another joke. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I do that with words. Like I, I used to have a joke. Uh, you know, there's some words that just have power. And even if the joke's not even close to the same, mm -hmm. if they just use one of those words that I thought was like the funny word, like I used to have a meth joke. And if any other comic did any meth joke, even if they just said meth, but the joke was completely different. I was like, I can't do mine now. Yeah. I'm not going to do it because the power has been taken out of that word. Yeah. I love it when I, um, cause I'm such a prick sometimes and I will like won't watch the other acts okay. in the show and then I'll go up and you'll be telling like one of your fucking slam dunks and right, like, right. they're just not reacting and then you're like what the fuck is going on well, the and then last after the show like, last guy did a whole chunk on that same topic you know, <laughs> fuck 
So yeah, I always watch. Like first, I need to yeah. first night of the week. Like I'll watch the feature and the opener just because I'm like I don't want to. I don't want to be the guy that's up there like wondering why are they not reacting. And I think I've gotten better at it. Like okay. I definitely think that I've gotten better at um, just trying to watch comedy as a like fan of comedy because I think it just makes me. You know, I like comedy and I like seeing a young guy sure, yeah. who's really like hitting his stride or figuring it out. And um, I also just like, I love comedy. And I, the thing is, is that I never thought this would be a job. It was just something I did because I really loved doing it. And I didn't know I was going to love doing it. Okay. Like literally, really? like, I watched a Bill Hicks documentary. I watched the documentary Comedian. I went to an yeah. open mic. And then I just kept doing comedy for 15 years <laughs> but you get so clouded by like what other people are doing where you think you should be at your career what the money you made versus how much you know a friend made at that same event you know like all yeah. these different things and it's like i mean i live in new york city i travel all over the world i'm fucking in debt but like it's not like insane like i don't have to file bankruptcy debt from the religion degree no debt from being a TV writer for like four years and then not being a TV writer for three years and yeah, not adjusting my just like getting credit cards and being like, well, I'll just pay this off when my next job pops off. Right. And then like, and then like two years later, after you've done like three <gasps> credit cards being like, oh, shit, there's not another job. Is there? <laughs> <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't make it here. Ooh. Um, but then, you know, um, I've really only gone little i i haven't it hasn't been that big of a gap since moving back to new york i've had some spots i always have that up. fear and my wife doesn't understand it but sometimes i'm just like hey we can't we can't spend like we've been spending because i'll look at the calendar and i'll say okay i don't have a lot of yeah. like well-paying gigs coming up so we gotta like tighten it and you feel like oh i gotta have this much in the bank account otherwise it's gonna dwindle and dwindle and then all of a sudden yeah i had like so much money in december and i had a couple gigs coming up and i was just like this is never gonna change (laughs) more beans for everyone yeah and then um got to like mid-december and i started hitting up like the i do some like uh little side jobs in new york when, uh-huh. I, when I need extra cash yeah so i was like back on the truck just like, like hey guys it's me again yeah and i was like on tv like the month before and they're like man what happened to you <laughs> so you grew up loving comedy or it's something that happened like when you saw the bill hicks and you the know, comedian documentary i loved comedy i was always a smart ass and then um what I was realizing lately is that I never thought about it as stand-up, though. I wanted to be on SNL, okay. but I literally, I had no idea that that was something you could do. Right. Until yeah. I was, like, 27 and somebody asked me if I wanted to submit to SNL. Really? Yeah. Like, I literally was like, oh, they must just be born on, you know, at, at 30 Rock, and then they're raised, like, you know mercenaries or whatever theater it's funny when you don't realize how it's done it's this abstract thing that you can't even fathom 
doing. Like I, I just realized that about myself recently because I was doing a club in – it was just last month. I was doing a club in St. Paul, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and I'd always heard about Acme Comedy Club. Yeah. Always heard, like, that's one of the best clubs in the country. And so one night I had just one show, so afterward I took an Uber over to Acme because I just had to see it. Yeah. I just had to see – like, let me see this, like, impenetrable fortress mm-hmm. that I've heard so much about. And then I saw it, and I was like, okay, I think that I could, like – it's a comedy okay, club. I'll send emails now <laughs> to like say, hey, how, how do I get on your radar? Yeah, I think that if you're like a normal person sure. with comedy and, um, and, and then like somebody is um, somebody's like you have imposter syndrome about this being like a show business approach. Okay. Like meaning like you're yes. going to ask for more and more money. You're going to try to build and build and build. Right. That always seems absurd to me because I come from enough of a working class background like it was in my mom was just a nurse and sure. my dad was like a businessman but he was across the country we lived in a nice neighborhood but we weren't rich by any means but like i always knew it was an absurd like to to be indignant about the way you were treated as a comedian i was just always like yeah you're a fucking comedian you know <laughs> like you didn't pick lawyer you didn't pick doctor right, you're not right. an accountant you picked nightclub entertainer. It comes way down the rung. Yeah, like, but I have friends who have always been like, no, I, I deserve this much money, and this is how I should be treated, and this is what I will do with this momentum. And they usually get that. Oh, yeah, 100%. If you know what you want to do and you think you deserve these things, it's like the world just knows. Have you tried to change your mindset on that? Yeah, I have. Yeah? That was just, I think, when, when I was younger. What kinds of things did you do to change how you approached it? I got sober. I got grateful. Um, I got more accountable. Just tried to be a better employee, better person. I was never like an asshole, but I was just like, I was just kind of like careless about things and relationships and just my approach. And also just, I didn't like, I think another thing that comics fail to do is they're having fun. They're building an hour. They're working so hard. And then once they're kind of in this zone where they're headlining a lot, they're not approaching every night like it's a different set. They're just like, I got my headlining set. I kind of right. know what it is. But it's like, realistically, you really should be going like, okay, what worked last night? What, what, like, what am I getting a lot of silence on? Even if it's paying off, like, you know, like I have a couple of jokes that I've been doing for years and I've never taken the time to just like fill that like 30 seconds of setup Right, with right. At least one or two laughs. Right. And it, and every time I go back to him, you know, you tell him and then you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Never really, never <laughs> really finished this guy. Can I tell you the lie that I tell to myself and, and parts of my act that are like that? I this and I know it's a lie. I know I should be. It's it's a part of laziness that I know I should be working hard. But I look at it and I go, no, that's just that part that like injects my personality. Yeah, and they're gonna appreciate it for my personality, not for the humor. Oh yeah, I mean I have a lie like that where I'm like, I, it's not. I don't know if I enunciate it, but I go, um, I'm like an artist. Sometimes they're just gonna have to listen to me. Yeah, like it, it, it can't all be funny, right? And then I look at somebody like Sam Morrill, and they're just like. Joke, 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 joke. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay. Well, that's... Oh, never mind. Yeah, never that mind. That was good. You could just... And and I think that the thing is, is that we kind of came up in this time where the alt comedy was given such a, like, put on such a pedestal. Such high praise, yeah. Yeah, that you didn't realize that, like, well, yeah, like, maybe in the East Village, they want to hear about your trauma and all this stuff. But right. But, like, most comedy fans have no interest in how you're doing yeah. Tim Dillon said that to me, which is 
maddening because I think he's been doing it for less than half the time I've been doing it. <laughs> but he was just like, they don't care. They don't care how you're doing, what your day was like. They just came there to laugh. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Do you think that they would connect with you more, though, if you had him or just keep it personal, but find it funny? Um, is that well, the ultimate I think goal? I think the goal is is that you you well you have to make it funny. The funny is the most important thing. Sure. And then I think the integrity thing, integrity thing is like where you make it yours. Okay. And you kind of stick to your style and you make it fun and entertaining for you. Yeah. But you know, it's like every fucking joke. It's like no matter what, you tell a joke 50 times it's going to fucking you're going to hate it. You're going to lose the luster of it. Yep. Yeah. My closer is like that. I've been trying oh. to shake it for like a year and a Dude, half now. I got like a two-year-old closer that I pull out <laughs> for rooms like these. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when I see a lot of like um, like manual labor patches, like if I steal, see enough like steel chainsaw or like Right, or, or like a or, name on the jacket. Yeah, yeah. Those kind of shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, workwear over a nice mm-hmm. Western shirt. It's just a joke about shitting my pants, and it's probably like three or four years old, but I only used it as a closer like more in the last two years. But it's like when I go into it, I'm yeah. just like, fuck. Here we go. Fuck, why am this I This is going to, yeah. because it's going to work, because you know you it's can. Gonna end on work, it, right? It's going to work. It's going to fucking work. And every time, I, every time I start my closer now, and, and I didn't intend to, because these last six months, I've really been like, I'm not going to close with that. And so I try and actually put it up earlier, even though I'm sick of the joke. I just don't want it as the closing crutch. But still, sometimes I'm like, you know, if a crowd's kind of half into it, I'm like, nope, save it. Save it. Let's make sure we have it at the end. I I always think about like we should be um, comics should be like in the CIA or something like because our ability to tell a joke we hate and pretend like we love it <laughs> is like almost as good as like keeping state secrets. Yeah. Like it's torturous. It hurts my heart to tell <laughs> the shitting my pants joke. Yeah. But, but I do it. And all these people, like I could definitely work for like the informerazzi, the branch of the KGB that like, you know, tells everybody that like, you know, the dictator's alive and everything's well. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Everything's fine. The party line has been met. <laughs> Just spent, <laughs> spent some hours with him at the pool yesterday. It's all good. Yeah. Okay. Do you, um, who were, so you said kind of that your tastes have changed, like who you thought, who your comedy heroes were at the beginning. Like if you were doing a Mount Rushmore uh, when you first started, who would you have put on there of comedians? Oh, God. I mean, I would say that, you know, Hicks was, like, the first guy I watched. Okay. If, if we just based it off of, like, the first guys that really, like, landed with me. Sure. It was Hicks, Stanhope, um, probably Patton and, okay. and David Cross. Is Patton a, a Seattle guy? Why do I no, associate just, with I him? I feel like with... he just had a connection to the Northwest. Okay. He did one of his big stand-up specials there, I want to say. Okay. It was just, like, Seattle was, like... Seattle was grunge rock, so everybody thought that it was, like, where you went to go do an alt album. Sure, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I definitely think, like, Chappelle was up there. And, okay. And, um, you know, eventually CK. Um, How does he sit with you now? God, I want to love him. I, I haven't heard any of the recent stuff, but... Um, I haven't heard it, but I heard it's great. Yeah, I heard it's great. And I, you know, he's so... Um, he was... It's so weird because... He, I do think what he did was wrong. Absolutely. I think the response is kind of uh, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't even want to chime in. But sure. It's yeah. Like, yeah. That's fine. Like my reaction to it is like I don't. I don't give a shit about it. But I'm also not a victim of it. Right. Right. But I, I've been a victim of other things. Yeah. And I'm kind of aloof to all of it. So I don't know how you're. That's a thing you've used to protect yourself. Yeah, but also, you know, I mean, I have a joke right now where I think it's funny. I was thinking about CK, and I was thinking about how, like, CK is playing, like, Kiev and Bucharest and Omaha and Uh fucking, you know, London, Ontario. And it's like... (laughs) I love that you put those four places together. (laughs) You know, it's just like he's been pushed to this kind of periphery of of comedy. I think really the only thing that I really get upset about is his way of handling it. Like, I think he made a forgivable mistake. Right. Or did a forgivable act. But he just doubled down and didn't, like, do any kind of, like... Like, even even if in his heart, you know, it's just, like, smart optics to go... He had such a platform at that point. Like, just... Right. Fucking record an hour of Sarah or Tig or somebody, like, chastising you and really trying to, like put a foot forward but to go into like a six-month hiatus and then just to bump back in um it was just kind of like it was just frustrating because i i you know louis was such a great show he was and um his stand-up was so important when i began and now i'm kind of just like well i'd like to see him but i understand if people are uh turned off but the joke that i've been coming up with or trying to write lately has been um that i think it's so funny that like if if Louis got a TV show right now, people would be like, "This is fucked." Like this is so fucked that Louis. It would seem back. unfair to yeah. most people, yeah. But or just wrong. But like then at the same time, they will they would watch forty hours of Ted Bundy, and yes, I just think yes. it's so bizarre that like people are like, a murder is different. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. if you don't I, like Ted Bundy's not making any money, he doesn't get to sit in like the nice trailer right, on set. Yeah. But like, still, it's like you are fine with watching like the like the just literally like minute details of like a homicide. But like uh, the art of somebody be who offended was a bad yep. person. You're like, oh, I could hard line. I had to I had to leave the movie theater. Right. And you're like, okay, well. That guy really killed people. Louis like a <laughs> creepy weirdo and yeah. he should go to therapy. Here's the two things I thought with that situation is I, I thought, okay, I thought he'll lay low for two years and come back and he'll have an hour that addresses it yeah. and like shows us how he grew from it and how he, you know, has gained perspective and how yeah. he's making it right. I thought that's what he's going to do. I heard he doesn't address it at all in his, in his new stuff. Maybe I, he does, but... I heard that he has, like, a very quick little bit. Because, um, like, the this this prominent writer for The New Yorker reviewed his show. Like, he drove up to some comedy club in um, Niagara Falls okay. and saw him. And I guess he's just like, if anybody... If, if, if you ever want to jack off in front of somebody, don't. And then if somebody wants you to jack off in front of them, don't. You know? <laughs> um, but that's it? Yeah, I think it's just always like that. Like another friend told me they went and saw him and he just said, uh, so don't jack off in front of other people. And then he just like moved on. Okay. Um, But the one thing that I find a bummer about it is that his whole audience is like very anti-cancel culture, kind of like Alex Jones, like like, like people that like 
embrace the canceled men thing. Right, and right. It's like he was better than that. He was like NPR he wasn't that guy. and Town Hall. And, yeah, you know. he wasn't that guy. And it's always weird. I don't think he wants his fans to be that either. No, I just think I mean, he, I don't know him at all, but I, I would imagine that he would be like, guys, we don't have to, we don't have to go down that road. Like, I can just be Yeah, it wrong. seems like he hasn't done any of that, which is a bummer. Yeah, you'd think he would. Because he seemed like such a kind of, uh, just he was so conscious about his craft. Right, and right. the material was so, in, like, heightened. You were just like, dude. But who knows? Uh, so Mount Rushmore now would probably be, were you going to ask that? No, yes, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. You're, how it's changed. So we got the four. Norm is, like, definitely wow. on there. Norm is up there. Um, he does this club, I think. Yeah, he does. He share the stage with him. Yeah. Uh, Norm is on there. Um, Mulaney, I think, is just like okay. carving his way into just like legendary status. Um, I really love... Um, did you see I, Mulaney's new show yeah. on the, the, kid, the kid one? one? I didn't yeah. see it. Did, it was it's it really good? funny. Is it good? It's like funny for adults. Okay. All right. Um, and then I'm trying to think of other people who really just like, I'll go out of my way to see. Um, I really love what Drew Michael does. I don't know if he's like a legend. I don't know if he's on the Mount Rushmore. I guess if we're talking Mount Rushmore, like I think Norm is definitely there. I think Doug Stanhope is still on there. Even okay, though wow. I don't really like love his whole like just like double down on being like a dirtbag road guy because right, he's no. so smart you know he is um i don't think i've ever seen maria bamford do anything that wasn't immaculate okay um it's so fucking hard to you know what you and i have it's interesting because you and i have very different comedy tastes like i i feel like um I mean, I like most of those people that you yeah. mentioned on both that you're earlier Mount Rushmore and current, but it's, it's so strange. Like those are people that I, I would consider like guys that I like, but not that I consider like my favorites of all time. And so that's, that's interesting to hear. Oh, you know what? Actually, I, I, let's do this. Let's sub out Stanhope. Okay. And let's replace him with Metzger. I really think Metzger might Metzger, be one of, really? one of the, the funniest people I've ever heard. I saw him in New York several years ago, and he was one of the guys that made an impact. Yeah. I mean, I've just listened to his a couple of his albums like over and over and over again. I don't know. if I mean, that's like egregious to put it. He's a little young in the, in the career to get there, but. I mean, Stanhope's definitely had more output, and I've seen Stanhope do some pretty amazing things with comedy. Yeah. It's so fucking hard. I, you know, I, I think that, like, I just know that um, Norm and Chappelle are probably on there. Yeah. I always kind of veered towards the bad boys. You're you like know. the bad boys of comedy. Patrice was definitely up there. He was like one I of I never those got guys. to see him live. Some a couple times, and I got to have dinner with him one time. Yeah, and that was like, I I don't think I like, was he I cool with you, dude. It was like the weird. I did. I was playing Giggles in Seattle. Actually, I wasn't even playing. I was going up there to watch it. It was a strip club, right? Giggles it or went, is Jiggles now? It or went something? to Jiggles and then went back to Laughs. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's Laughs now. Um, but I uh, I was going up there to watch it. My friend Kojo had been his opener, so okay. he had said that I was going to come to the show. Yeah, yeah. This is probably 2008. Wow. Okay. And I said, hey, man, you know, like, I'm a friend of Kojo's. He was really nice. Went and saw the show. It was like 
Friday late, nobody showed up, real fucking death march. He was really? in a bad mood. And this guy who was supposed to drive him to his hotel from the club had gotten drunk, so he was just like frustrated. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll drive you to your hotel if you want. I right, mean, my right. mom's Subaru, but... And I took him <laughs> to his hotel, and he goes, are you hungry? And I was like, yes. Yeah. And so we went and had Chinese food. Oh, and that's it was so like cool. Three hours at like 11 p.m., you know, so like, and he just talked about life and comedy and everything. It was great. He just sat there and, and just, just explained went, it all? Yep. And, and how did that change everything for you? That's, what, that's the impression I get when people talk about him. They've almost like, you know, he's like a mythological creature at this point. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like life, life changing in a way. I don't know. The problem is, is he probably gave me some great advice that I didn't take just because I'm just like, Robin Williams. I'm yeah. just like an ADD. <laughs> he's like, move to San Francisco, man. And, and I'm just like, like, I'll be in New York. Keep saying that. Um, also, I should probably put a tell up there. A tell okay, is dude, maybe the best joke writer of all. time. Yeah, just I've, straight. Jokes. I've worked with a tell a couple times and I'm just constantly amazed by what he does with comedy. Right, right. And how he can just slip in something. He's definitely influenced me a lot in the last couple of years, just getting to see him at the cellar all the time. His setups have punchlines. Yeah. That bugs me. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. I got to do a weekend with him at the DC Improv, and I just sat in the wing and just watched him. Yeah. Like, I just hit up the DC Improv this last week because that's it for whatever it clicked inside of me that i was like okay that i have to do that club because it was sort of like well i did comedy works for the first time in january yeah i'd always wanted to do that and then finally they had me there uh to headline like just like three weekday shows yeah but it was it was a that's a great room. it was a, such a fun experience i was like these people do it right and so then i got like a bug on my butt about acme and i was like i gotta go see that check that out and then dc improv that's the first place i ever saw a live stand-up show oh wow. i was still in high school and my family went to like visit my uncle over there for a family reunion and they were like you well, okay uh you know what it was a it was like a hypnotist oh nice comedian and so maybe that was the reason i got in because i don't think i was 18 yet it was probably i probably know who the hypnotist is because the same hypnotist plays there once a year is he gay maybe because i that's the one thing i remember i remember it being funny but i was like i knew at that time before then that i wanted to do stand-up so when they said nick you get to pick what we do tonight i was like can we go see comedy and we went and that's just who happened to be there and I, I remember his name's like Kip or something. I, I'm not sure. I'd be interested to know because we sat in there and my uncle who's from D.C. is uh, he's a gay guy. And he sat in there with us. And the guy had the hypnotist had an earring. And one of his jokes was like, I bet you guys are sitting out there looking at me with this earring like, oh, hypnofag. And I was like, and you can't say that anymore. But yeah, this was yeah. like 90, whatever it was. And I just remember like feeling my uncle's presence on the side of me like oh no he just said that and here he is uh, um oh no he wouldn't have been gay then that would have just been a punchline that he said because oh, he had an earring so he wasn't gay he yeah, was just saying he was just saying that because he had an earring which is so much worse now that i think about if you it you said thinking, that now it's just like it would just um it would just you like you, there's places where you could get booed off the stage i feel like that might be one of the places not that people in D.C. that would go to the improv are rude, but I feel like they would especially not take to that kind of language. But then again, this was the 90s and things were different. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that I heard back then was just like... But if, 
so insane. If it is the same guy, I would be very interested to just look that guy up because that that night made a mark on me. Even though I had already wanted to decided I wanted to do stand up, I was yeah. like, it was like seeing it, seeing is believing. Like, oh, this is attainable. There's a guy up there actually doing it. It's so weird. Like all this stuff. I'm trying to think of other bits that when we started, I'm also trying to look for the name of this guy yeah. because he's, um, he's the same guy that's always at the, it doesn't fucking matter. Nobody's going to go see the comedy hypnotist. He does like <laughs> cruise ships and different things like that. I can see that. Um, it's just so funny that, I mean, I, I can remember David Cross, even Louis CK, you know, said the N word a bunch Right, and he, right. I guess he like vetted it or said it in a way that's like, I guess he probably vetted it with rock or something. Like he tried to, yeah. But yeah. it's still like you cannot say that now. And right. like, there's a bunch of people like where you could not say things that they said that were just like. I mean, you know, Eddie Murphy famously like tried to get Raw taken out because he has like. Ten minutes where he says "fag" over he and over. He tried to get it like where it he was tried to no buy the rights to Raw. No longer be distributable. Yeah, because he just didn't want that out there. That's what I heard. I heard he didn't want his kids to see it because it okay. was so hateful. In it's a way, it's an interesting thing to have to come to grips with because language changes, our society changes, and it doesn't mean that Eddie was a bad guy back then when he said it. It was just a different. I mean, he was in New York on SNL in the 70s and 80s. I'm sure he had tons of gay people in his life. Right. You know, it's like, but also culturally just different. I mean, my stepmom until like fucking, you know, 2005 when we would go to like an Asian restaurant, she'd be like, we're going to get Oriental food. Right. And I remember my sister being like fucking like her, just her hair, like just catching on fire. She'd get so mad. And would she say something? Sometimes, and it, she'd be like, that's so racist. And it's like, no, like, not letting somebody eat at your restaurant is so racist. Or she just doesn't know the right word. Right, that's she not didn't ra- get the If update. it's not said with malice, yeah. then, it, I, you know, but that person could learn to say another word. Now, if the person refuses to change, yeah. then it becomes slightly racist. No, and she didn't. She was just like, yeah, but also, like, some people just aren't. People, some people just like, they, they don't have a mean bone in their body. They say right. some stuff and it's like, I, I think it happens all over. Like where people will say something and you're like, yes, that is racist, but you are not saying it from like a diminishing, you're not trying to diminish them. You're not trying to say they're less uh, intellectually capable. Of right, you. right. You know, it's just like, she's a fucking secretary from Oklahoma who smokes a pack of Marble 100s a day. Right. She doesn't watch the news. She doesn't read books. She doesn't read the newspaper. Like, what do you expect? Who are you describing right now? My stepmom. That's your stepmom? Yeah. Your mom was the nurse? My mom's a nurse, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Without, like, having to think on it too much, has there been something in your life that you've changed your opinion on or something like that you would say, that was a big hump to get over, but... Like, I'm on this side of it now. Well, I think everybody changed their approach to, um, or just like the, I don't know what the correct verb is, but I think we all changed just our point of view or like at least understanding of trans culture or like trans people. That's the big one, right? Where it's like, yeah, like I totally thought that was pretty weird when I was a new comic and I probably said some transphobic stuff. I still don't like 100% understand like with all the gender, like how there's multiple genders and like what's the difference between transgender and transsexual and um, whatever. 
um, gender non-binary. Right, right. But I just know that it's like some people um, have a very hard time in life and it is like their thing. Or maybe they don't even. They just want to be recognized a certain yeah. way. And it takes no skin off my back just to call them whatever they want to be called. Or Yes. But, you know, when I was... I know a guy that's like a very, very liberal um, political comic. Like he works for a very prominent. Okay. But he had like a joke about how like, and this is like 2006. He had a joke where it was about like the LGBT community and he Uh was like lesbian, gay, bisexual. And then it was like, how did trans get in there? Okay. And then it was like, you're, you know, like all these, he would like say all these like things that like gay people did. And then he was like, and then you're just going to tie your you're you're gonna uh, saddle up with chicks with dicks and i was just like when when you watched it back in the day you're like oh that's funny that is like weird that they're yeah, like yeah, all yeah. but then like now it's like oh my god he he would get canceled for that joke right and so and overanalyzing this kind of stuff i feel like is what comics that's part of our job right like this this is kind of taking a turn this this conversation sort of taking a turn where it's not it's not that funny but but this is what we kind of obsess about because language is so important to us yeah and trying to figure out where where what we should say and what we can say and then and the unfortunate and this is where comics get themselves in trouble is then the next question is how can i make this funny yeah and sometimes we're wrong yeah i mean i did this um, last week of the cellar taping last week. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Or this week at the cellar. The Comedy Central yeah. show. Yeah. So I was doing one of those tapings, and it's all topical news. And I was trying to make fun of the coronavirus. Yeah. Real funny stuff. <laughs> um, but it's just like, it's an, it's an Asian epidemic at the moment. And so I was like trying to think of jokes around the coronavirus and not the, I was trying to go for like different takes. And one of the takes I had was on like how Asian travelers wear the masks. Yes. But it was like, they couldn't get over that I was talking about Asian travelers. No matter what I said, it was a joke about Asian people. Asian, when you just say Asian travelers, there are alarms that go off, in even in my head. head. Yeah. They're, they're like, like what? what are you trying, what are you to, trying say to say here? And I'm just talking about how the face mask right. doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> like, you've been right, wearing right. it for a while now, <laughs> and the epidemics keep on coming out of China. So it's like, I, and then I said, I never got the joke to work, but I still did it at the taping because I was like, you know, kind of doing a Hail Mary. Sure. Um, which was just like, I think the viruses might be coming from the masks. And okay, everybody yeah. was just like, Ooh. they They still heard oh, Asian they hated traveler. Me. They hated me. They- <laughs> I had to like, I had to get them back by doing some real classy ass eating jokes that's an interesting show the the uh this what is it called this again? week at the cellar this week at the cellar and you only do topical stuff so it's stuff that's not gonna uh, live in the act anywhere right it's funny because like most of the clips i've gotten on have been just jokes that fit tangentially you were able to shove into yeah they just like were like oh we're talking about um this couple breaking up and like this celebrity couple breaking up. And so now here's a joke about breakups. Here's a joke about breakups. That's nice. And that's kind of what they've changed the show to be. Okay. Because they realize that it's like, it's pretty impossible. It's not impossible. It is pretty difficult to um, turn around a premise in a week. Oh, yeah. Go from conception to TV ready. You, so in that show, they, they, give you the, they give you the topics and then they say, okay, you're taping in a week? Um, it's shorter than that. You okay. find out on Tuesday what your spots are and then you'll know you'll either tape on like Sunday, Tuesday or Wednesday. Right. And then on Friday is actually when they send, send you your topics. Okay. And so, um, that's like the weird, um, like, 
Because I'll just start writing on Tuesday. Sure. Like, I'll just be like, okay, coronavirus, uh, Trump, Ukraine, you yeah, know, yeah. whatever, Parasite wins the Oscar, and just try to, like, write, write, write. And then they'll send me the topics. And usually I'll have some kind of crossover. Right. That's but nice. honestly, I mean, I've had days where there's been, like, two days between when I got my topics and when the taping was. Like, uh-huh. I got topics on Friday, taping was Sunday night. And um, just bombed just bombed a sure. TV taping and you're just like, fuck. Like, isn't that kind of nice though? Doesn't, isn't that liberating to like have those that like, not that y- you don't ever want to do poorly, but isn't it nice that there's, it's sort of a low, uh, you know, there's a net below you. Like, the yeah, TV I mean, taping it's nice is, that they know that they respect you enough to be like, Oh, well obviously this isn't, yeah, they'll have you work. back. Yeah. But it also just, it's so insane to think that like there was times like, you know when you're writing a joke and you're trying to figure out a joke uh-huh. and you keep telling it and you realize you haven't written it? Like you're just like, keep telling that joke. And you keep going on stage, but have you ending. haven't. <laughs> still doesn't have an ending. Yeah. And I'll just do that sometimes where it's like, why didn't I drink a pot of coffee and just work on that one joke all night? Like that's all they needed from me for that week was a joke about coronavirus. Right. Like why didn't I? And it's like literally maddening. Like I get fucking like I will pull my hair out over a um i will pull my hair out over a like a joke because i'll hit a wall with it and i just won't be able to like think about it okay and it's like i just try to like step away from it but it's like with this it's like just fucking end your coronavirus joke dude <laughs> what are you doing just put this is on television paper. yes you know okay so I, that, that's one another one of those lies that I tell myself when I get to that point where a joke doesn't have an ending or it's like I think ah oh, it'll come to me on the Always. stage. I've been doing that for there's a couple premises out there that have been for years I've been bringing to the <laughs> stage. I'll just pull them out and I'll be like this hasn't worked for five years but maybe this is the night. This that is the one that and it's like, will click. For some reason, comedy is this weird thing where it's like if you spent eight hours a day writing jokes like you had to have them into your boss yeah can you imagine how many jokes you'd be so productive yeah if you separated your ego and like all these like judgments and all you had to do was write jokes it's like when i get a packet and i have to write monologue jokes yeah i've never been late on a packet okay and i've had the whole fucking thing done and that's for somebody else that's not even i mean it's for you but it's for somebody else the second they tell me that they need that i'm like but then if it's for me i'm like how about i Gotta, I'm frustrated. I should go to the gym and get coffee and then hang out with a friend. Just, Things you know, clear that, my head. Yes. And then Saturday comes around. The and lies. I still haven't fucking figured out the joke. The lies. Okay, I got one more. I got one more question for you. The the one thing I will say about that is I heard Tommy Johnigan one time say that he sits down every day and just will start to free write. Yes. And he'll just like, almost like a diary, just yeah. free association, doesn't worry about it being funny. He's just writing. And he says that like exercises this muscle of getting used to just writing and putting in the work. Yeah. So every day he does it. There's no pressure on it. And then like 30 days from then, he'll go back and look at that and try and find the nuggets. So he's always working 30 days behind, but he's always also yeah. 30 days ahead with the diary. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, that, that's a good way to try and go about it. Yeah. And I've tried that a couple times, and then I, I get to like day four, and I'm like, well, I could skip a day. 
Yeah, I do that. Same exact thing you do. Where I, I, I do the free rights, and I think they're so... It's like with meditating. It's like I meditate for like three days in a row, and I'm like, oh, man, I feel so fucking good. I'm crushing or like, it. Or I sleep eight hours. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, God, that was it. That was all I needed. Yes. And then the next night, it's like 4 a.m., and like that like play next episode thing is hitting like on the fucking fire <laughs> stick, and you're just like, ah, who needs sleep? You know? I should probably watch this. It's good research yeah, for exactly. my coronavirus bit. But like, all you know, it's like comedy isn't if you've done it long enough and you know how a joke sounds. Yeah. Write for one hour a day. Literally have nothing else. That's to do. really all. I mean, if you wrote for one hour a day, you would be one of the hardest working comedians. Yeah. That's so pathetic. Yeah. Oh, damn it. We are so dumb in that way. Uh, okay, then here's my last question. Do you find... Uh, we, we, we've kind of focused on all the things that like we do to sabotage ourselves. Is there anything that you find works for you to get your head into a place where you're like, I can write, and it doesn't feel forced, and it doesn't feel like... Because sometimes I force myself, and then the jokes come out flat. It sounds like I'm writing an email, and it sucks. Um, I've just found that I have to write... With fresh eyes, so usually first thing in the morning. Okay. Um, I have to listen to jokes. Like, I have to go back and listen to recordings, even though it's literally, like, it feels like pulling, like, um, barbed wire out of my, like, it you know, is sternum. Uh, and, you know, just on, like, a broader approach, I have to be grateful. I have to go on stage, like, looking at it as, like, I owe these people, like... yeah. I owe these people a good show, and I'm lucky to be able to do this. Did that come from AA? Yeah, more. I mean, I was always pretty stoked on it, but like gratitude and spirituality, like praying before I go on stage. Okay. And not to like a Christian God. Any person in particular, just... You know, just like let me... In 12-step, a lot of times we talk about, we say say being useful, like, Mm -hmm. you know, make me useful, make me a channel of thy will. Right. And um, that's just kind of what, like, I don't give a shit what I'm praying to or, like, who's in charge. Right. Like, I really don't have a defined thing. Some people like to define that. But um, I think that if I can do comedy as, like, if I can treat comedy like it's a thing that I'm doing to uh, make people's lives better and yeah. to, like, give people a good time. Because, you know, when I started comedy, I would, like, say things like... Uh, you know, like, uh, f- fuck the troops, you know, like I was just like a dickhead. Like just like, to piss people off. Yeah. Just to be like a contrarian. Sure. And sure. To be like, I was already like a liberal, like fucking asshole kid. And, you know, you hear your favorite comics saying ab- absurd things. You don't realize that they're super smart and have like really unique. They're putting on it them. into context. Right. But yeah, I would yeah. be like, uh, I remember this one time I only tried it once cause it really backfired a guy in the audience. His brother was in Iraq. And I, it was some joke about how it must be nice to be in Iraq because um, you get to see all the cops get killed or something like literally like a, just oh my god, just <laughs> like what, like just like insanity, and um, I don't know how I got to this topic, but <laughs> I'm really actually confused now. But um, I, uh, it was it, how how do you get into the headspace and you're talking about being grateful and now you're talking about oh how yeah you yeah used you to. know like. You know, that's it's it's not these people didn't pay like part of it's mine. Right. Like, sure. Like, I'm going to approach this as a comic. I'm going to have integrity. Like, I want to. But like, I don't get to like guinea pig them. I don't get to force like some dark shit on them. Yeah. Like, 
you know, if you're some, like, I really have a problem with those comics that are like, that they, they, they're, they're really turning an audience off and they're like, ha, 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 you guys can't handle it. And that it's one's like, just for me. No, they're fucking pissed off that they paid fucking $25 to get in here and see right. you like make fun of like a, a, a bus that caught on fire full of like, you know, like special needs children. You right, fucking right. Lord, shut up, you know, like that's not what they came here for. Like, exactly. Do that on your podcast, <laughs> but don't, get defensive when somebody who's like came from fucking like a happy home <laughs> yeah. doesn't want to hear your take on 9-11. Right, right. Even though I have a lot of funny takes on 9-11. Well, I think we all, we all got some <laughs> funny have a lot of dark jokes, but not all are usable. Yeah. Well, cool, Andy. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, man. I, if you don't care that people know you're going to be in this hotel for another day, yep. uh, I'll probably release this within the next uh, 24 hours. But do you have anything that you want to promote coming um, up? Please. Um, I have a couple of shows that are on my calendar. But more importantly, uh, April 15th through 18th, I will be at the uh, Punchline in San Francisco. Okay. And I will be recording an album. Oh, nice. So uh, if you guys could come up there or if you have a friend there... I'd really love to sell out the weekend um, just to like have some really fun shows on tape and put out a new album. And do they find the tickets for that on your website? There's links on my website, but there's also, um, if you just Google Andy Haynes Punchline San Francisco. Sure. It, it, April 15th through the 18th. Yeah, that's a good point. I should put that link in my link tree. Good point. Yeah, put it in your link tree. And, and find, find Andy on social media. He's easy to find. Don't let that go in one ear and out the other. I always say this at the end of my show. It's actually huge as comedians. If it, you know who we are, we can, we can work. Yeah, I have a shitty uh, millennial comic friend who has like 2,000 more followers than me, and I really need to catch up with him. Let's, let's get Andy caught up to that guy. I need guy. that 10K so I can put the ticket link in my stories. Right? <laughs> find him on there. Add him. And if you're in San Francisco, check out that show if he's in a place where you live go check out Andy Haynes Andy thank Please. you thanks for having me man appreciate it bye